Now to In Business, John T. Bloom finds out what reverting back to WTO rules would mean for Brexit Britain. His journey starts in a clothes factory in Derbyshire. OK, so we're just walking now into our main factory production unit. If you look around you, you can see we are sewing. We're making in here ladies' clothes. But now we're almost the last left in Britain actually manufacturing clothes. Christopher Nieper is a dapper, well-dressed man with a gleam in his eye. He's managing director of David Nieper, a clothing manufacturer in Alfreton, Derbyshire. This is a family business started by my father, David Nieper, a British fashion brand, and for 55 years, people have been supplied directly from this room. 350 workers make everything from the catalogues to the skirts, dresses and coats aimed specifically at women over 50. It has survived, while many other British garment manufacturers have gone to the wall, by going up market, selling direct to loyal customers and doing almost everything in-house. We have a completely vertical operation here. We're creating the idea, we're designing the fabrics, we're designing the patterns, we're cutting the patterns, we're making the clothes, and we're sending everything right through to the end customer. We even have our own flower arranger, we have our own cabinet maker, we make all the desks in the offices, etc. It's a whole community. If the British weather allowed, he jokes, he might even consider growing the cotton for his fabrics here. A strong champion of Made in Britain, Christopher Nieper is all for Brexit, even a hard Brexit, when the country would fall back on the rules of the World Trade Organization, known as the WTO. Their tariffs and quotas hold no fear for him. He exports around 30% of his garments to the continent, mainly France, Germany, Holland and Switzerland. If we were to move to WTO, that simplifies all of the negotiations and we could move to WTO straight away, which means we take back control of our laws, our borders, our money. So I would prefer, for a certainty point of view, to say we're going to WTO and we prepare for that. And actually it's an opportunity for us to bring more of the supply chain into the UK, which creates more manufacturing, more jobs, and it creates more skills, which we need. And working on WTO rules will be a shot of adrenaline for British manufacture. But for his workers, it's not so simple. For a start, most have never heard of the WTO or know what it does. Uh, do you know what the WTO is? I don't think so. No. No. The World Trade Organization? No. no. It's all right. You're up there with 99% of the population. Well done. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> what is it anyway? So for this edition of In Business, I'm off to Geneva to find out exactly that. What is the World Trade Organization? And what would reverting back to WTO rules mean for Brexit Britain? How straightforward would it actually be? And will it, as Christopher Nieper argues, boost Britain's position? as a global trade player. Well, it feels a million miles away from a uh, factory in Derbyshire because I'm now standing on the shores of Lake Geneva. It's also standing in front of a huge building, a kind of 
Florentine-style palace, almost. And this used to be the headquarters of the International Labour Organization in the interwar years, and therefore it's surrounded by statues to the dignity of, uh, of labour and uh, the power and strength of the working classes and so on, which is a bit ironic now because actually it's one of the bastions of free trade and capitalism. It, this is the headquarters now of the WTO, the World Trade Organization. Inside, the WTO has the feel of a venerable and wealthy university campus, all quiet corridors, small offices for the experts and endless meeting rooms, many with artwork and fittings donated by member states, as Janelle Clark showed me on a tour of the building. Okay, I think we can actually go into room C. So this one is actually furnished by Brazil. It's a gold laminated map of yeah. Brazil. It's just kind of like the centerpiece of the room. Each room is supposed to be booked centrally, but much of the work here is done in chance encounters, whispered proposals and unofficial meetings. Actually, let me see if this one's fine. There's actually a really interesting painting in here as well. There's no official meeting there, right? I guess they're just using the space to chat. We've probably started a trade war, haven't we? The building, with its fantastic canteen, tight security and hundreds of staff, is designed to facilitate deal-making. It is a free trade factory. How many meeting rooms do you have? I don't know the exact figure because it's so many. <laughs> so do you have meetings every day, all the time? Yes, all the time, every day. But anyway, um, let's keep it moving. And what most people are chatting about are the schedules. They are the laboriously worked out tariffs and quotas on thousands of goods and raw materials that member states have agreed to. And your schedule will need the unanimous agreement of all 164 member states. That's right, 164 members, before you can join the WTO. They look boring but are a huge achievement, the result of decades of negotiations and deals. They used to be top secret, but not any longer. But they are, however, still sensitive and delicate. In the basement of the WTO, they have miles of shelves containing schedules going back decades and the bid and counter-bids made as countries try to agree their schedule with every other member. It took four members of staff, including a lawyer and a glove-wearing head of archives, to show us just one example. So how old is this? This is from 1956. Yeah. So this actually says secret on it, but it's no it longer secret. It was secret at the time, but now it's publicly available. So the consolidated list of offers by the government of the United Kingdom. And then you can see the offers made to right, the so, particular countries. So this particular offer is an offer that was made to Benelux, Denmark, Finland, Germany, Italy, Norway, Sweden and the United States. Yes. On grain, oats, barley, malt, barley, grain... But it's amazing detail, isn't it? I mean, horseradish, apparently the present rate of duty was 10%. The concession requested was cut it to zero. And I think it was an offer of 5%. But only on the fresh one. But only on fresh, fresh not on dried. Yeah. <laughs> Good grief. And then presumably at some point somebody said, we'll let you have the horseradish at 5% if we can sell you lettuces at 3%. That would be the kind of bargain. And that's the kind of bargaining that goes on all the time. Yes. Excellent. 
So what kind of bargain could we strike for the skirts and blouses made in Christopher Nieper's Derbyshire factory? At the moment, tariffs on clothing are high, and it could take years for that to change. If you imagine how long it took to agree that horseradish deal between the UK and eight other countries, then consider the scale of world trade. You can see why progress can seem glacially slow at the WTO. And what progress there is, is all a matter of deal-making. And if you want to cut a deal here at the WTO, there is one place to go. We'll meet in the atrium. It could be the motto of the WTO. It's a, a new covered courtyard in the centre of the building. It's got a huge tree in the centre of it, which I think is a weeping fig. It's got a cafe, tables and chairs. It overlooks Lake Geneva. It's very peaceful and quiet, but this is the key to the organisation. This is where all those off-the-record discussions get deals done long before official meetings even take place. This is also where the recently expanded UK team is spending a lot of time. They have a lot of work to do because one problem for the UK is that it does not really have a schedule of its own. It shares one with all the members of the EU. Now, the UK is a member of the WTO in its own right, but when it leaves the EU, it will have to have a schedule of its own and also agree to quotas. That's how much of a product will it allow to be imported at a set tariff. But rather than renegotiating a whole schedule from scratch, the plan is to actually copy and paste the EU one. A simple solution, it seems, but actually far from straightforward. Take sheep, for instance. Not the most high-tech or important product in the world, perhaps, but sheep could block or slow down the UK in the WTO as effectively as a flock in a country lane stops the traffic. That's because New Zealand has a quota on lamb and mutton it is allowed to export. 228,000 tonnes of lamb and mutton can be exported to the EU every year with no tariff. After that quota is used up, the tariffs are huge. New Zealand farmers rely on that quota. It's a vital part of their export market. So the EU and the UK came up with a joint proposal to divide up the quotas after Brexit between them. The response from New Zealand and other food exporting countries was swift. No way. Uh, yes, we and uh, a range of other WTO members made clear that, uh, that a simple quota split like that is not acceptable to us. David Walker is New Zealand's ambassador to the WTO. We met in the atrium, of course. So let's suppose the quota is 100. That right exists to supply up to 100 units of that product anywhere across the EU28. So you could send it the whole 100 to Germany one year, the whole 100 to the UK the next year, or some mix in between, depending on the conditions in the market, supply and demand. So it's not only the quantity, but also the quality of it, flexibility. That's why we have rejected the idea of a simple split. You were selling into a single market where you could move your product anywhere, and you're losing that benefit. Yes, it's not so much the single market in this case, but it's much more to do with the customs union than the single market. But once it was inside the customs union, it could yeah. go anywhere. These issues may not be insurmountable, but they are a roadblock which will need to be cleared. 
the UK will probably buy off complaints from countries like New Zealand with a little more access or a lower tariff. This nickel and diming, as it's been described to me, shows how leaving the EU's schedule will already mean compromise and concessions from the UK, ahead of the date when we leave the EU and its customs union in 2020. And that's all before the UK sets out negotiating bilateral free trade agreements. And to do that, having your own schedule is vital. The WTO hasn't agreed a new global and universal reduction of tariffs for decades. But as David Walker told me, it's still the foundation of all other deals. We put priority on the WTO because it covers all markets. But uh, WTO is slow, so we also have looked to open markets where we can with partners more quickly. We have um, done a lot of trade agreements in the Asia-Pacific region. And are those deals much more important than the WTO, or is it, do they go hand in hand? We don't see them as more important than the WTO. It's like the WTO is the foundation and you're building a structure on top of it. So we're also very interested to extend our mutual free trade agreements into Europe. Um, we're looking to hopefully launch later this year a negotiation with the EU28, of which the UK is still a part. And where will this leave the UK after Brexit? We have made it very clear, uh, as I think the UK has, as and when the UK leaves the European Union, we would also like to do uh, a free trade agreement um, together. So with its own schedule, the UK can then start to use it as the basis for its own free trade deals. That was always considered to be the jewel in the crown of Brexit, the right to cut our own deals. But they can take a long time to negotiate. The quickest take a year or so, many several years, and some grind to a halt and are never agreed after decades. And a lot of those deals will also be hammered out in the corridors of Geneva. There are well over two kilometres of corridors here at the World Trade Organisation. This is my favourite. It's called the Salon de Papadou, which is my very bad French uh, way of saying the uh, room of lost footsteps. Why are there so many lost footsteps here? Because it takes you a long time to walk through, which is actually quite a short corridor. It's between meeting rooms Y and X and B and C, and this is where people get buttonholed. Delegates catch hold of someone, suggest something, come up with a solution, sit down in the chairs here. The deals get done, and it takes everyone a long time to get through this really short piece of corridor. But as a general rule, the bigger your share of world trade, the more other countries want to stop and chat with you. And at the moment, one man represents more global trade than any other. My name is Mark van Heukelen. I'm the European Union ambassador to the World Trade Organization. We met in the Brazilian room, just off the Salon de Papadou. We are the executive branch of uh, the European Union, so we speak on behalf of the European Union. The member states don't intervene, but our position, especially on important matters, are coordinated beforehand. And what advantage does it give to negotiate as one bloc? Well, I think it has tremendous advantage because weight matters. If you are a small country you will be taken 
less into account than when you're a big member. Right now, the European Union is actually the biggest player in the WTO. We have a share in world exports, which is the highest, and then you have the U.S. and, and China. There are only three big players in this organization. We are around, say, 14 15% each. The next one is Japan, 5%. And as I said, weight matters. We can um, weigh much more heavily in a discussion, uh, not only in the multilateral setting of the WTO, but also in bilateral trade talks. Which does not sound that encouraging for those in the UK who think that a new, independent UK can reinvigorate the WTO and push forward trade liberalisation. But as Yeva Borshevskaya from the Lithuanian delegation explains, it's not that easy. We have 164, I guess, members in the WTO right now. Get 164 friends of yours to one place, decide on a dinner, decide on one dish for all, one drink for all, and include in that company the single mothers, the teenagers, uh, retired veterans, uh, and just literally everyone with dogs and people with allergies. That's how the trade deals are being made here. You need to find something that suits all, and it really takes a very, very long time because one person with a negative reaction to one ingredient of a deal blocks the whole process from going forward or can block the process from going forward. To be honest, reinvigorating an organization where every member has a veto is not easy. And the EU ambassador believes that the UK, with just 2.5% of world trade, will find that its voice does not carry much weight in the WTO. Well, I think indeed those who believe that should have a reality check. Yes, the United Kingdom will be listened to, but you will have a weight of 2.5% of the organisation. It's already very hard, very hard for the big players and the EU will have less influence because your size of world trade will diminish as well. It's clear that we'll lose some weight, but mind you, we then go from, say, uh, from 16 to 13 and a half. That still puts us in the league of China and the US. The United Kingdom would then get into the league of, say, the uh, significant but not major players. Who else has 2.5%? Let's say Brazil or Russia. Uh, but you're not playing Champions League. So it's a second division? Kind of. It would be first division, but, but not Champions League. You, you know the football league's better than I do. Like, <laughs> it's changed, doesn't it? But being in the first division doesn't mean there aren't advantages to making deals that are specifically suited to you. The UK's trade negotiators can now focus on what the UK wants and needs and not what the whole of the EU wants. If oranges from South Africa are cheaper than those from Spain, we can let South African ones in tariff-free. We no longer need to worry about protecting French vineyards or German shipyards if we can do deals to get Chilean wine and American ships. So creating our own schedule again at the WTO will be difficult but not impossible and we will be free to cut our own designer free trade deals. But unless we agree a free trade deal with the EU by the time we leave in 2020, the EU will impose tariffs on our exports to the continent and customs checks and red tape as well. 
For Christopher Nieper, this holds no fears. At the moment, he exports to EU countries with no tariffs or red tape, and to the WTO's home, Switzerland. What they ask us to do, we have to list the weight and the commodity code and the price and the country of origin for every single component within the garment. That seems a massive clerical task and quite a big um, barrier to trading in Switzerland. But once we realise that's what they needed, we've written a computer programme that assembles all that data and the computer runs the programme overnight, every night, and delivers it electronically to the Swiss authorities every morning. It's become a non-job now. But red tape will be the least of his problems if we leave the EU without a free trade deal. The EU routinely imposes tariffs of around 10% on clothing from outside its borders. So without a free trade deal, all those skirts and blouses that Christopher sends to France and Germany would suddenly cost 10% more. And there's another problem looming. Just when we need the WTO to referee our trade deals, the world's largest economy has elbowed that referee off the pitch and started to play rough. Today I'm defending America's national security by placing tariffs on foreign imports of steel and aluminum. We will have a 25% tariff on foreign steel and a 10% tariff on foreign aluminum. When the product Donald Trump's decision to impose tariffs on steel and aluminum is a game changer. He's using national security to try to protect America's steel and aluminum industries, knowing full well that national security is the one WTO rule that cannot be challenged. All countries can take actions to guarantee their national security, but are only expected to do so at times of real crisis, like a real war. But now in peacetime, President Trump has upped the ante, starting a trade war. And if he cites national security as a reason for tariffs, others may follow suit, and the escalation could be impossible to stop or reverse. So with that, the General Counsel adopts the agenda with the proposed uh, adjustments. It was the topic of the day at the General Counsel meeting I was allowed to listen in on. Well, I just stepped out of the auditorium of the General Counsel meeting of the WTO now. Uh, it's a really strange atmosphere because it's basically silent. Everyone listens in silence to what one delegate says and then another delegate says. The first thing that happened was, of course, that China stood up and said it wanted to add to the agenda. It wanted to discuss American steel and aluminium tariffs, which, of course, were announced by Donald Trump. And now, not only has President Trump pressed the nuclear button by starting a trade war on national security grounds, but also the body that was set up to resolve conflicts is also in danger of grinding to a halt. The appellate body, as John Adank, Director of Legal Affairs at the WTO explains, has been solving problems for more than 20 years, and its decisions have to be accepted by all members of the WTO. There is no veto. Compliance has actually been pretty good. I think most estimates say that in over 90% of the cases, members comply. I mean, that's an extremely strong track record. That is considered one of the great strengths of the system. But the appellate body is rapidly running out of members, as the USA is blocking their appointment. 
It needs a bare minimum of three members. Six or seven would be much better, but at the moment it has just four. Now, for some months now, over a year, it's been proved not possible to get a, a consensus amongst members to initiate the process for filling vacancies. So, if this impasse continues. The risk is that the appellate body won't be in a position to function because it gets down to three or, or fewer members. It could be difficult to hear appeals. And that failure to appoint, is that down to an American objection to the way that the system works? The US has raised concerns about um, the way the system works, but in order for the, the wheels to keep turning in the system, it also really very much relies on consensus of members for key decisions like the appointment of appellate body members. So if there's no consensus, that can basically bring the system to a bit of a standstill. For Britain, this is a real problem. Just as we're throwing off the EU and going it alone, the WTO looks like a colder, harsher place. Without those experts to appeal to, the WTO is far less friendly and cosy. Disputes won't be heard before internationally respected experts and settled quietly. With a reasoned, legally binding judgment, there will literally be no one to appeal to. Less rules of the game, more Game of Thrones. A trade war based on the claim that tariffs are essential to national security and an arbitration system that is being deliberately sabotaged. It all raises fears of a return to the 1930s for the Director General, Roberto Azevedo. Well, just the threat of a trade war is already damaging. But if this escalation goes on and on and on and on and on, you may have something very, very, very damaging I mentioned even the possibility of a recession, and that's, if you look back in history, you know, in the 30s, that's exactly where it led. And the WTO was set up to prevent that happening again, so it, it must be very frustrating that there's a danger of it re-emerging. Well, the WTO was, was set up to provide uh, predictability, uh, and that's why I have been saying stick to the rules, um, do things according to the rules, because if others don't like it, there are mechanisms to take care of that. But if you don't, or if others perceive that the rules are being abandoned, it becomes the law of the jungle. But back in Derbyshire, as I share with him what I found during my trip to Geneva, Christopher Nieper is not worried. Whether it's the possibility of new tariffs and non-tariff barriers, extra complications at customs or global trade war, his confidence in the ability of his firm to adapt and prosper is undimmed. Well, we've been here for 55 years, and we've had almost every possible variation of macroeconomic disaster. And remember, brand Britain is very, very powerful. If we can use the fact it's made in England, designed in England, and manufactured with British quality, that gives us a cutting edge. So it doesn't really matter about tariffs. It doesn't really matter about competition from the Pacific Rim. People buy something because they choose it. You know, business is very quick to adapt. If we need to be ready, we can be ready. Just give us the date and we'll be there. <laughs> we will have to hope that Christopher Nieper is correct. The tranquil setting of the WTO on the shores of Lake Geneva with its well-oiled collegiate feel, is as comforting and comfortable a safety net as you might ever hope to find. 
but we may find that we're falling back on WTO terms just when a trade war is starting and dispute resolution becomes impossible. The safety net is not as safe as it was. In Business was presented by John T. Bloom and produced by Estelle Doyle. In a couple of minutes, BBC Inside Science will be featuring...